0: Chapter Three, Part Two of The Swiss Family Robinson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Swiss Family Robinson by Johann R. Wies. Chapter Three, Part Two. With honest pride, I introduced my wife to my bridge and after receiving from her what I considered well-merited praise for my skill in its construction, we passed over it in grand procession, reinforced unexpectedly on the opposite side by the arrival of our cross-grained old sow. The perverse creature had obstinately resisted our attempts to bring her with us, but finding herself deserted, had followed of her own accord, testifying in the most unmistakable manner, by angry grunts and squeals, her entire disapproval of our proceedings. I soon found we must, as before, turn down to the sea-beach, for not only did the rank grass impede our progress, but it also tempted the animals to break away from us, and, but for our watchful dogs, we might have lost several of them. On the firm open sands we were making good way, when, to my annoyance, Both our dogs suddenly left us, and, springing into the thick cover to our right, commenced a furious barking, following by howling, as if in fear and violent pain. Not for a moment doubting that some dangerous animal was at hand, I hastened to the spot, remarking as I went the characteristic behaviour of my three sons. Fritz cocked his gun, and advanced boldly, but with caution. Ernest looked disconcerted and drew back but got ready to fire, while Jack hurried after Fritz without so much as unslinging his gun from his shoulders. Before I could come up with them, I heard Jack shouting excitedly, "'Father, father, come quickly! A huge porcupine! A most enormous porcupine!' Sure enough, the dogs were rushing round and round a porcupine, and having attempted to seize it, were already severely wounded by its quills." Each time they came near, the creature, with a rattling noise, bristled up its spines. Somewhat to my amusement, while we were looking at the curious defence this creature was making, little Jack stepped close up to it, with a pocket-pistol in his hand, and shot it dead, making sure of it by a couple of heavy raps on the head, and then giving way to a burst of boyish exultation, as he called upon us to help to convey his prize to his mother. This it was by no means easy to do— sundry attempts resulted in bloody fingers, till Jack, taking his pocket-handkerchief and fastening one corner round its neck, ran off, dragging it after him to where his mother awaited us. "'Hullo, mother! Here's a jolly beast, isn't it? I shot it, and it's good to eat. Father says so. I only wish you had seen how it terrified the dogs, and heard the rattling and rustling of its spines. Oh, it is a fearful creature!' Ernest, examining it carefully, pronounced its incisor teeth, its ears and feet, to resemble those of the human race, and pointed out the curious crest of stiff hairs on its head and neck. "'I have read of another species,' said he, "'called the tuft-tailed porcupine, which must be even more curious-looking than this is. It has short flat quills, and a scaly tail ending in an extraordinary tuft, like a bunch of narrow strips of parchment.' It cannot be such a disagreeable enemy to encounter as this fellow. "'Were you not afraid, Jack?' asked I, "'lest the porcupine should cast some of his quills like darts at you?' "'Of course not,' returned he. "'I know well enough. That is nothing but a fable.' "'A fable?' said I. "'Why, look at your mother. She is drawing five or six spines out of each of the dogs.' "'Ah, those stuck into them when they so fiercely fell upon it in their attack.' Those are the short quills, and seem very slightly fixed in its skin. The long quills bent aside when Juno pressed against them. "'You are perfectly right, my boy,' said I. "'There is no truth in the old idea of shooting out the spines. But now, shall we leave this prickly booty of yours, or attempt to take it with us?' "'Oh, please, father, let us take it. Why, it is good to eat!' Smiling at the child's eagerness, and willing to please him, I made a somewhat awkward bundle of the porcupine, wrapping it in several folds of cloth, and added it to the donkey's load. Our party then resumed the march, which, with little interruption, was continued steadily, until we came in sight of our future place of residence. The wonderful appearance of the enormous trees, and the calm beauty of the spot altogether, fully came up to the enthusiastic description which had been given me. And my wife gladly heard me say that, If an abode could be contrived among the branches, it would be the safest and most charming home in the world. We hastily unloaded the ass and cow, securing them, as well as the sheep and goats, by tying their forefeet loosely together. The doves and poultry were set at liberty, and we sat down to rest among the soft herbage, while we laid our plans for the night. Fritz soon left us, but presently two shots were fired— and he appeared holding a fine tiger-cat by the hind legs, which, with the intensest delight, he exhibited to each in turn. "'Well done, Fritz!' cried I. "'Our cocks and hens would have had an unfortunate night of it, but for this lucky shot of yours. "'It is to be hoped he has left no companion near at hand. "'You must be on the lookout. "'How curious it seems,' remarked Ernest, "'that God should create hurtful animals like this.' To our feeble and narrow vision, many of the ways of the infinite and eternal mind are incomprehensible, I replied. What our limited reason cannot grasp, let us be content to acknowledge as the workings of almighty power and wisdom, and thankfully trust in that rock, which, were it not higher than we, would afford no sense of security to the immortal soul." That animals should prey upon one another is a means of preserving a due balance in the world of nature, and in many ways these beasts of prey are also useful to man. What beautiful and warm furs are procured by hunters, just in those countries where no other covering would defend the inhabitants from the wintry cold, as, for instance, the skins of bears, wolverines, and arctic foxes, wild cats, and many others. "'The skin of the seal, or sea-dog, is also valuable,' said Ernest. "'It is,' I replied, and in its own element that creature preys on fish, as the dog did on land-animals, before his race became domesticated by man. "'But now, Fritz, tell us how you obtained your prize.' "'Observing that something moved among the branches,' said he, I went softly around the tree with my gun, and making sure the creature was a wild cat, I fired and brought it down.' "'It was severely wounded, but, rising in a fury, it attempted to climb the tree, when I, luckily having a loaded pistol, gave it a quietus. "'And do tell me, father, what sort of a cat it is.' "'It is a mercy the brute did not fly at your throat instead of attempting to escape,' said I. "'It belongs to a fierce and bloodthirsty race, that of the ocelots, or tiger-cats, natives of the tropical parts of America.' "'I should say this was a margay, and it would have proved a cruel foe, not only of our poultry, but also of our sheep and goats. I am well pleased that you have rid us of it. "'May I have the beautiful skin, father, and will you tell me what will be the best use to make of it?' "'I advise you to skin the animal very carefully, and of the handsome black and yellow tail, make a hunting-belt for yourself. The paws—let me see—' "'Why, I fancy the paws might be made famous cases for knife, fork, and spoon, "'and look well hanging from the belt. "'The skin of the body you had better preserve until you find some suitable use for it.' "'Oh, father, what a splendid plan!' cried Jack. "'Do tell me some good use for my porcupine.' "'I think its feet may make cases also. "'At least you may try. "'The quills, I am sure, may be used for packing needles and for tipping arrows.' "'and I should try to make defensive armor for the dogs out of the rest. "'They may fall in with foes more dangerous than any we have yet seen.' "'To be sure, father, the very thing!' shouted Jack, in high glee. "'I have seen pictures of boar hunts, "'in which the dogs were protected by a sort of leather coat of mail. "'That will be grand.' "'After giving this advice I got no peace, "'until I had shown my boys how to act upon it, and in a short time each had his prize fastened up by the hind legs, and, carefully slitting the skin, was stripping it from the carcass. Ernest, meanwhile, was fetching large flat stones, in order to form a fireplace, while Franz gathered sticks, as his mother was anxious to prepare some food. "'What sort of a tree do you suppose this to be, father?' inquired Ernest, seeing me examining that under which we were encamping. IS NOT THE LEAF SOMETHING LIKE THE WALNUT? THERE IS A RESEMBLANCE, BUT IN MY OPINION THESE GIGANTIC TREES MUST BE MANGROVES, OR WILD FIGS. I HAVE HEARD THEIR ENORMOUS HEIGHT DESCRIBED, AND ALSO THE PECULIARITY OF THE ARCHING ROOTS, SUPPORTING THE MAIN TRUNK RAISED ABOVE THE SOIL. JUST THEN LITTLE Franz CAME UP WITH A LARGE BUNDLE OF STICKS, AND HIS MOUTH FULL OF SOMETHING HE WAS EATING WITH EVIDENT SATISFACTION. Oh, mother, cried he, this is so good, so delicious. Greedy little boy, exclaimed she in affright, what have you got there? Don't swallow it, whatever you do. Very likely it is poisonous. Spit it all out this minute. And the anxious mother quickly extracted from the rosy little mouth the remains of a small fig. Where did you find this? said I. There are thousands lying among the grass yonder, replied the little boy they taste very nice i thought poison was nasty do you think they will hurt me the pigeons and the hens are gobbling them up with all their might and main papa i think you have no cause for alarm dear wife i said the trees seem to be the fig-bearing mangrove of the antilles but remember franz you must never eat anything without first showing it to me never mind how good it seems if birds and monkeys eat a fruit or vegetable "'It is usually safe to believe it wholesome,' added I, turning to the other boys, who, instantly taking the hint, coaxed Franz to give them the figs he still had in his pocket, and ran to offer them to Knips, who was closely watching the skinning of the tiger-cat and porcupine, apparently giving his opinion on the subject with much chattering and gesticulation. "'Here, Knips, allow me to present you with a fig,' cried Jack, holding one out to the funny little creature.' Knips took it readily, and after turning it about, and sniffing and smelling it, he popped it into his mouth, with such a droll grimace of delight and satisfaction, that the boys all laughed and clapped their hands, crying, "'Bravo, Knips! You know a good thing when you see it, don't you, old fellow? Hurrah!' My wife, with her mind set at rest on the question of the figs, now continued her preparations for dinner." "'The flesh of the margay was given to the dogs, but part of the porcupine was put on the fire to boil, while we reserved the rest for roasting. "'I employed myself in contriving needles for my wife's work, by boring holes at one end of the quills, which I did by means of a red-hot nail, and I soon had a nice packet of various sizes, which pleased her immensely.' I also laid plans for making proper harness for our beasts of burden, but could not attempt to begin that while so many wants more pressing demanded attention. We examined the different trees, and chose one which seemed most suited to our purpose. The branches spread at a great height above us, and I made the boys try if it were possible to throw sticks or stones over one of these, my intention being to construct a rope-ladder if we could once succeed in getting a string across a strong bough." Finding we could not succeed in that way, I resolved other schemes in my mind, and meantime went with Jack and Fritz to a small brook close by, where I showed them how to place the skins to steep and soften in the water, with stones placed on them to keep them beneath the surface. When dinner was over I prepared our night-quarters. I first slung our hammocks from the roots of the tree, which, meeting above us, formed an arched roof. Then, covering the whole with sailcloth, we made a temporary tent, which would at least keep off the night-damps and noxious insects. Leaving my wife engaged in making a set of harness for the ass and cow, whose strength I intended to employ the following day in drawing the beams up to our tree, I walked down with Fritz and Ernest to the beach, to look for wood suitable for building our new abode, and also to discover, if possible, some light rods to form a ladder. For some time we hunted in vain, nothing but rough driftwood was to be seen, utterly unfit for our purpose. Ernest at length pointed out a quantity of bamboos, half buried in the sand. These were exactly what I wanted, and stripping them of their leaves I cut them into lengths of about five feet each. These I bound in bundles to carry to the tree, and then began to look about for some slight reeds to serve as arrows." I presently saw what I required in a copse at a little distance. We advanced cautiously lest the thicket should contain some wild beast or venomous serpent. Juno rushed ahead. As she did so, a flock of flamingos, which had been quietly feeding, rose in the air. Fritz, instantly firing, brought a couple of the birds to the ground, the rest of the squadron sailing away in perfect order, their plumage continually changing as they flew from beautiful rose to pure white, as alternately their snowy wings and rosy breasts were visible. One of those which fell was perfectly dead, but the other appeared only slightly wounded in the wing, for it made off across the swampy ground. I attempted to follow, but soon found that progress was impossible on the marsh. Juno, however, chased the bird, and, seizing it, speedily brought it to my feet. Fritz and Ernest were delighted at the sight of our prize. "'What a handsome bird!' exclaimed they. "'Is it much hurt? "'Let us tame it, and let it run about with the fowls.' "'Its plumage is much more brilliant than that of the dead one,' remarked Fritz. "'Yes,' said Ernest, "'this is a full-grown bird, while yours is younger. "'It is some years before they reach perfection. "'See what long active legs it has, like those of a stork, "'while with its great webbed feet it can swim faster than a goose.' "'Earth, air, or water is all the same to the flamingo. "'It is equally at home in any one of the three. "'Well,' said Fritz, "'let us take the dead one to mother "'and get her to introduce it to the other element, "'and see what it will make of that. "'If it is young and tender, as you say, "'it should make a delicious roast.' "'Fritz and Ernest then carried the birds and bamboos to the trees, "'while I proceeded to cut my reeds. "'I chose those which had flowered, "'knowing that they were harder.' and having cut a sufficient quantity of these, I selected one or two of the tallest canes I could find, to assist me in measuring the height of the tree. I then bound them together, and returned to my family. "'Do you mean to keep this great hungry bird Fritz has brought?' said my wife. "'It is another mouth to feed, remember, and provisions are still scarce.' "'Luckily,' I replied, the flamingo will not eat grain like our poultry but will be quite satisfied with insects fish and little crabs which it will pick up for itself pray reassure yourself therefore and let me see to the poor bird's wound so saying i procured some wine and butter and anointed the wing which though hurt was not broken i bound it up and then took the bird to the stream where i fastened it by a long cord to a stake and left it to shift for itself in a few days the wound was healed "'and the bird, subdued by kind treatment, became rapidly tame. "'While I was thus employed, my sons were endeavouring to ascertain the height of the lowest branch of the tree from the ground. "'They had fastened together the long reeds I had brought, and were trying to measure the distance with them, but in vain. "'They soon found that were the rods ten times their length, they could not touch the branch. "'Hullo, my boys,' I said, when I discovered what they were about that is not the way to set to work geometry will simplify the operation considerably with its help the altitude of the highest mountains are ascertained we may therefore easily find the height of the branch so saying i measured out a certain distance from the base of the tree and marked the spot and then by means of a rod whose length i knew and imaginary lines i calculated the angle subtended by the trunk of the tree from the ground to the root of the branch this done i was able to discover the height required and to the astonishment of the younger children announced that we should henceforth live thirty feet above the ground this i wanted to know that i might construct a ladder of the necessary length telling fritz to collect all our cord and the others to roll all the twine into a ball i sat down and, taking the reeds, speedily manufactured half a dozen arrows and feathered them from the dead flamingo. I then took a strong bamboo, bent it, and strung it so as to form a bow. When the boys saw what I had done they were delighted, and begged to have the pleasure of firing the first shot. "'No, no,' said I, "'I did not make this for mere pleasure, nor is it even intended as a weapon. The arrows are pointless. Elizabeth,' I continued to my wife, Can you supply me with a ball of stout thread from your wonderful bag? Certainly, replied she, I think a ball of thread was the first thing to enter the bag, and diving her hand deep in, she drew out the very thing I wanted. Now, boys, I said, I am going to fire the first shot, and I fastened one end of the thread to one of my arrows, and aimed at a large branch above me the arrow flew upward and bore the thread over the branch and fell at our feet thus was the first step in our undertaking accomplished now for the rope ladder fritz had obtained two coils of cord each about forty feet in length these we stretched on the ground side by side then fritz cut the bamboos into pieces of two feet for the steps of the ladder and as he handed them to me i passed them through knots "'which I had prepared in the ropes, "'while Jack fixed each end with a nail driven through the wood. "'When the ladder was finished, "'I carried over the bough a rope by which it might be hauled up. "'This done I fixed the lower end of the ladder "'firmly to the ground by means of stakes, "'and was all ready for an ascent. "'The boys, who had been watching me with intense interest, "'were each eager to be first. "'Jack shall have the honor," said I, as he is the lightest, so up with you, my boy, and do not break your neck. Jack, who was as active as a monkey, sprang up the ladder and quickly gained the top. Three cheers for the nest!' he exclaimed, waving his cap. "'Hurrah, hurrah, hurrah, for our jolly nest! What a grand house we will have up here! Come along, Fritz!' His brother was soon by his side, and with a hammer and nails, secured the ladder yet more securely." I followed with an axe, and took a survey of the tree. It was admirably suited to our purpose. The branches were very strong, and so closely interwoven that no beams would be required to form a flooring, but when some of the boughs were lopped and cleared away, a few planks would be quite sufficient. I now called for a pulley, which my wife fastened to the cord hanging beside the ladder. I hauled it up, and, finding the boys rather in my way, told them to go down. While I proceeded to fasten the pulley to a stout branch above me that we might be able to haul up the beams we should require the next day, I then made other preparations that there might be no delay on the morrow and A bright moon having arisen, I by its light continued working until I was quite worn out, and then at length descended. I reached the ground, but to my surprise found that the two boys were not there; they had not been seen. A moment afterward, however, all anxiety was dispelled, for among the topmost boughs I heard their young voices raised in the evening hymn. Instead of descending, they had, while I was busy, climbed upward, and had been sitting in silent admiration of the moonlight scene, high above me. They now joined us, and my wife showed me the results of her labor. She had made two complete sets of harness. I congratulated her upon her success, and we then sat down to supper. On a cloth spread out upon the grass were arranged a roast shoulder of porcupine, a delicious bowl of soup made from a piece of the same animal, cheese, butter, and biscuits, forming a most tempting repast. Having done this ample justice, we collected our cattle, and the pigeons and fowls having retired to roost on the neighboring trees, and on the steps of our ladder, We made up a glorious fire to keep off any prowling wild beasts, and ourselves lay down. The children, in spite of the novelty of the hammocks, were quickly asleep. In vain I tried to follow their example. A thousand anxious thoughts presented themselves, and as quickly as I dispelled them, others rose in their place. The night wore on, and I was still awake. The fire burned low, and I rose and replenished it with dry fuel. Then again I climbed into my hammock, and toward morning fell asleep. Early next morning we were astir, and dispersed to our various occupations. My wife milked the goats and cow, while we gave the animals their food, after which we went down to the beach to collect more wood for our building operations. To the larger beams we harnessed the cow and ass, while we ourselves dragged up the remainder. Fritz and I then ascended the tree, and finished the preparations I had begun the night before. All useless boughs were lopped off, leaving a few about six feet from the floor, from which we might sling our hammocks, and others still higher, to support a temporary roof of sailcloth. My wife made fast the planks to a rope passed through the block I had fixed to the boughs above us, and by this means Fritz and I hauled them up. These we arranged side by side on the foundation of boughs, so as to form a smooth, solid floor, and round this platform built a bulwark of planks, and then throwing the sailcloth over the higher branches, we drew it down and firmly nailed it. Our house was thus enclosed on three sides, for behind the great trunk protected us, while the front was left open to admit the fresh sea breeze which blew directly in. "'We then hauled up our hammocks and bedding, "'and slung them from the branches we had left for that purpose. "'A few hours of daylight still remaining, "'we cleared the floor of leaves and chips, "'and then descended to fashion a table "'and a few benches from the remainder of the wood. "'After working like slaves all day, "'Fritz and I flung ourselves on the grass, "'while my wife arranged supper on the table we had made. "'Come,' said she at length, Come and taste flamingo stew, and tell me how you like it. Ernest assured me that it would be much better stewed than roasted, and I have been following his directions. Laughing at the idea of Ernest turning scientific cook, we sat down. The fowls gathered round us to pick up the crumbs, and the tame flamingo joined them, while Master Knips skipped about from one to the other, chattering and mimicking our gestures continually. To my wife's joy, the sow appeared shortly after, and was presented with all the milk that remained from the day's stock, that she might be persuaded to return every night. For, said my wife, this surplus milk is really of no use to us, as it will be sour before the morning, in this hot climate. "'You are quite right,' I replied, but we must contrive to make it of use. The next time Fritz and I return to the wreck, we will bring off a churn among the other things we require.' "'Must you really go again to that dreadful wreck?' said my wife, shuddering. "'You have no idea how anxious I am when you are away there.' "'Go we must, I am afraid,' I replied, "'but not for a day or two yet. "'Come, it is getting late. "'We and the chickens must go to roost.' "'We lit our watch-fires, and, leaving the dogs on guard below, "'ascended the ladder. "'Fritz, Ernest, and Jack were up in a moment.' Their mother followed very cautiously, for though she had originated the idea of building a nest, she yet hesitated to entrust herself at such a terrific height from the ground. When she was safely landed in the house, taking little fronts on my back, I let go the fastenings which secured the lower end of the ladder to the ground, and, swinging to and fro, slowly ascended. Then, for the first time, we stood all together in our new home i drew up the ladder and with a greater sense of security than i had enjoyed since we landed on the island offered up our evening prayer and retired for the night end of chapter 3 part 2 read by cara schallenberg on july 15th 2009 in san diego california